The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about affluenza. Yes, indeed. (laughs) What it is... And what it just did for a 16-year-old boy who got 10 years probation instead of the 20 years um, commitment, uh, confinement in juvenile hall and then in prison um, that the prosecutors wanted. Well, what it did um, was convince a judge, apparently, to, uh, to give him a sentence that, in fact, made uh, made the situation worse, certainly was not a cure for his alleged affluenza. That was Judge Jean Boyd, and whatever she was thinking, she was undoubtedly not thinking that it was going to get this much reaction from the press, from all the people who have heard about it, from the victims' families, and so on, uh, who have now, the latest is, that they have now filed lawsuits. Um, the four pe- there were four people who were killed, who were good Samaritans, trying to help this woman at the side of the road whose car had broken down. And then there were two people who were injured who were in Ethan Couch's uh, truck. And um, one of them is paralyzed and can't talk. And it seems like that's a, that that's not going, that that's a permanent situation. Um, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's an outrage on a number of different levels. And um, my guest today is someone who wrote a book about this, way before the Ethan Couch case, and uh, it's called The Affluenza Antidote. My guest is James D'Amico. He has had a 35-year career as a wealth manager advising affluent families, and he has tried over the years to prevent uh, these families from spawning spoiled brats (laughs) who make deadly mistakes. So, James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. Glad to be here. Um, let's start first, before we talk more about the case um, and all its problems. <laughs> um, I mean, the only, the only positive note that's we've, that we've heard about it um, is the fact that these families have all filed lawsuits, which, of course, are not going to bring the people back, the, the deceased people back, and it's not going to uh, help the young man who was paralyzed. Um, but at least it will it's, at least it will serve as some punishment for this affluent family who apparently um, 
makes $10 million a year. So the $450,000 that their luxurious rehab center is going to cost for a year where the boy, Ethan, is going to go is going to be like lunch. (laughs) It's not going to make a dent um, in their pocket. Not that there's anything wrong with being rich, certainly, but there's something wrong for rich people getting better justice than the poor. And although I will talk about some of the realities of that that, go, that are going on today in every courtroom in America, not, not to this degree, of course, but, um, but there are certain inequalities that, that come about through the process. And as an expert witness, I can talk about that later. But let's first <laughs> talk about your book, James, The Affluenza Antidote. What, um, what gave you the idea in the first place uh, to write that? Why were you driven to write that? Okay. Um, By way of background, I wrote a column in a weekly business newspaper. I wrote six columns a year for that newspaper for 10 years about a variety of financial subjects. The column was called Managing Wealth. And the two topics that generated um, perpetual reaction, because over 10 years, you have a tendency to replace some of the themes were and the number one was how to raise children of means so that they have a strong value system adjoining the the affluence that the family enjoyed. The other had to do with finances and elderly. But coming back, finances what? Finance finances and the elderly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All the other things that we wrote about that have to do with managing money, women and money, as a sort of no reaction. But uh-huh. children, money, values, it was clear that we hit a, a sensitive spot. Uh-huh. And then having four children of my own and currently 11 grandchildren, I had concerns because I see things, structural changes within our society, not good or bad, but they are fundamental changes that I think make it far more difficult to instill what I'll call the depression era values that our, that our parents had. Uh-huh. And, and without being sensitive to uh, the work that's required to instill those values so that your children, at the end of the day, can achieve success. And we define success as they're happy, they're grounded, they're energetic about things, not necessarily financial success. A a nurse, uh, a teacher, a not-for-profit employee, they could love their job, they could do a great job, they can help our communities not make a lot of money, but... If they're happy in their job, they're successful. So our whole thing was, what, how do we overcome some of these structural changes and so that our kids have a better opportunity to be happy? Because at the end of the day, as a parent, that's really what you care about. And if they're happy and if they're productive, then everybody's better off for mm-hmm. it. And, and what I see, and I see it still, and in fact, if anything, I don't see it being addressed at all, is that we're not doing a very good job of focusing on those values that um, Brokaw called the greatest generation that I think that made us great. And so Mm -hmm. I have great fears about what we're going to look like as a country, as a community, um, 30 years out, 50 years out, that will be the world that my grandkids 
you know, living. Yes, yes. So, okay, so tell us about, so, so okay, so your back column got the biggest response, and, and basically what were people, how were people reacting? What were they saying to you? What were you saying, and what were they saying to you? Were they agreeing with you, or what was it? Well, I, I, it's, it's much easier to spot what I think are some of the, the causative factors. I think that's easy. Solutions are more complicated because there are obstacles, real-world obstacles, that make it more difficult to focus on it the way it needs to be. And in my mind, unless you make it a number one priority, then it falls by the wayside. And I talked about some of the structural changes and then... um, for instance, well, like, could you give us an example? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what you... That's really, really irks me, is um, the educational system. When, but like, when, okay, I was, but... when I was in the educational system, I, for instance, I played some sports in high school, and if we got out of line, it was not uncommon for a football coach to smack us side of the head, throw footballs at us, whatever. I don't think my psyche has been damaged by that or for teachers to hold you accountable or suspend you from school or if you came in dressed improperly, you get set home. Come back when you're dressed more appropriately. Now, I mean, coaches lose their job for grabbing a kid and, uh, you know, we've allowed the inmates to take over. So the teachers and the education system was a possibility for an alternate environment to help focus you on a value system, but we've absolutely removed the education system from having the ability to do that. And I so admire the teachers who are still, you know, toiling okay. away under the burdens. That the, and in my mind, all these columbines and all these shootings are all reflective of um, our failure to instill in kids. You know the the, the uh, respect. Okay, life. but I understand. But I want to get back to your book and my the book, okay, your column and all that. So that was and one what of the you issues. Meant, the other okay, issue but, is but so wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Wait, no. I okay, don't want to talk okay. about these issues in general. I okay. want to talk specifically about affluenza. Um, what did you? First of all, the definition. What? Because there have been there are a number of definitions of affluenza. First, let me say to my listeners, um, as many people probably know already, there is no in the diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is a big, thick book uh, right. that has different editions. It just came out with a, a new edition, DSM-5, and um, that is a book, it's like a dictionary, um, that defines all the different psychiatric disorders, at least in terms of what the research shows to this date. And so that is what psychiatrists use as a kind of dictionary to, um, to communicate with each other. Okay. Now. Um, they also use, there, of course, besides these, these formal diagnoses, um, there are also just general terms that people use to describe patients um, that aren't necessarily, you know, it doesn't have a number or a definition in this book, but it's just a description of someone. So, um, so for example, um, psychiatrists do use talking to each other in an informal kind of tongue-in-cheek way the word affluenza. It's not like it never existed before, um, but it, it doesn't, didn't really have, I mean, you could use it to mean like what Ethan Couch was, 
um, you could use it in a number of different ways. Now, um, I was reading about how apparently, I had never heard of this before, but apparently there was a PBS film, a uh, PBS special in 1997 called Affluenza. And uh, af- that, that gave rise to a book in 2001 by the same name. But the people who wrote that, who, who did the documentary or the special, and then who wrote the book, um, use the word affluenza in a different way. Um, first of all, they trace it to 1954. They think that it was originally uh, invented in 1954 by the head of a family foundation who sponsored research on wealth. Now, that wasn't you by any chance, was it? No, it was not. Okay. <laughs> no, I, would been, I would have been a grade school uh, <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> well, you could have been a genius. Um, so, uh, but the, but after this 1997 PBS special and after their 2001 book, the word became more popular. The only pro- problem is that it's had has had different definitions. So these people defined it as a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. Um, they, they talked about social and environmental consequences of America's obsession with wealth and materialism, and they had as part of the film a comedy news segment where the Joneses, that family we've all been trying to keep up with for years, formally surrenders. So their, their definition um, was more to talk about how America is, Americans are consumed um, with obtaining wealth and uh, to, to the um, and sort of losing some of the values that you were just talking about. Right. Now, the psychologist um, who who was an expert witness in Ethan Couch's um, case used a totally different, well, a related but a really different definition of it because he was talking about. Um, how this was that this teen, how Ethan wasn't able to tell right from wrong, didn't have good judgment because he was raised by parents who didn't teach him values, and so his um, his judgment was was off, and um, he should be he shouldn't be held accountable for his actions because of his um, his how he was raised and how he wasn't able to tell. Um, how he wasn't able, how he was entitled, and how he couldn't tell that what was wrong. Um, so I'm going. When we come back, we need to take a break. But when we come back, my guest is going to talk about his definition of affluenza in his book, The Affluenza Antidote, and that's James D'Amico. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. 
Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about affluenza, real problem, unreal excuse for manslaughter. We're talking about the case of Ethan Couch, the judge Gene Boyd, who, um, who, who talk about not knowing between right and wrong. Um, and, uh, and we're going to talk about the uh, expert witness psychologist who I think should hang up his um, whatever it is that he, that he needs to hang up to not be an expert anymore, G. Dick Miller. Um, anyway, my guest today is James D'Amico. His, he's, before this case, of course, his book um, that he wrote after his experience, 35 years as a wealth manager, uh, involved with families who, um, whose children did wind up doing some of the, some uh, not going in the right direction, shall we say, um, and so his book is called The Affluenza Antidote. And so, James, I want to start out at what, what I was asking you at the beginning. I want you to tell me not about the just general things about values, but about your experience, what you wrote this book. You had to be passionate about this topic, about seeing all these families who you were working with who were spoiling their kids to, in order to want to write the book. So tell us about that. Tell us you about your experiences. Sure. But, well, when I came to the industry, the, you know, the expectation was that you were going to have peace and harmony because money's not an issue. Mm-hmm. And what we found in practice is not in all cases, maybe not even in the overwhelming number of cases, but in way too many cases, we were dealing with dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. And, and in the best example of that that we could give, because, again, a lot of our clientele came out of family-owned businesses, and the most damning fact to highlight that is by second generation, 71% of family-owned businesses are gone. Mm. They're sold, they're gone, they're in bankruptcy. By the third generation, nine, over 90% of family-owned businesses are gone. And so the question was, why was the passion of the founder not being transmitted to the ensuing generations? Why would they either blow the business or sell the business, take the money, and, and run? What was going on that they couldn't transmit that yeah. passion for the family business to the next generation? And then starting to look at how many of them were unhappy what lack of dialogue and communication because we're trying to manage funds multiple generation. And Mm -hmm. so we had a lot of interaction with adult children of Mm -hmm. our parent clients. And just the communication and the value system just wasn't as prevalent 
as one might expect. In some respects, the money that you thought would be a solution way too often was the cause of problem. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, and I'm getting feedback from the readership of my column that reinforces that, concerns and inability to resolve the issue. And so mm-hmm. I moved to write a book as an epistle to my own kids and to establish, hopefully, an awareness. Now, again, the book came out a couple of years ago. A, a greater awareness of what I think is a prevailing issue that we're not doing a very good job of dealing with. And then this court case just screams about our lack of success. In, okay. Now, but now before, we, before we get back to the court case... Okay. Tell us about some of the examples. Um, what were some of the kids like, these adult children? I, mean, I can give you some life experiences. Here's one. Yes. Um, father, first generation, builds a business. At a uh, early 20s, he gives kids uh, stock in the company. And then he had a daughter, and he has, he has a daughter, he has a son. And actually, he's the guy in my book who wanted to be the other voice. He wished he could do it over again because he would do it completely different. Mm-hmm. And so the corporation paid quarterly dividends. At the age of 32, the son has never had a meaningful job. He was single the last I knew. Started work in the business with the father and then left because he didn't like the way the father ran the business. So the father was eminently financially successful and very driven himself. And then the daughter gets involved in the divorce, and the son-in-law, or future son-in-law, as the case was going to be, says, either give me the stock in the company, or I want the family vacation home. Hmm. Well, he winds up getting in the divorce settlement, the family's lake home, and the father's, if I had to do it over again, my kids would be on their own, I'd take care of their education, and the rest of my money would go to charity because I think I didn't help them in generating their own drive and ambition and stability. And so that, that, that's, that's a one case. Actually, I was with a guy today who was married to a woman who had very, very wealthy parents, very wealthy parents. And his two kids have never had a meaningful job. Both have dealt with the ravages of drug addiction, and yet they both live in fabulous homes, not too far from you, by the way, and drive the latest, fanciest cars and have never been held accountable for anything. And, you know, the stories go on and on and on about parents who have no idea what their kids are all about, have not asked anything of them, have not asked them to step to the plate so that they could develop their own sense of responsibility, their own sense of accomplishment, um, fulfillment, importance of family, etc. And if you don't teach it, how do they learn it? And so, for you know, you're talking about different definitions of affluenza. Well, when my sense of affluenza was not just limited to, to money. It's people of money who are given so much with no requirement to give anything back, not spiritually, not financially, not labor-wise, no accountability. And so they become, in a sense, bankrupt spiritually, financially. 
emotionally, even though they, they might inherit plenty of net worth, there is no corresponding give back for them. So the affluenza is the disease of being given too much of everything with being asked to give back nothing in return. And they become very shallow as human beings. So, so that was the con connotation. And, and when we did, it's sort of a vernacular in the industry. You can talk to a trust and estate lawyer and they'll come up with some offset of, of what I've just mentioned because that's our focus. And so my focus is I'm advising people on how to manage their money and how to pass it most efficiently from generation to generation. And, and where that all comes in then is I got real concerns as they do about the ability of that money to make their children happy and to sustain sort of the family pot for ensuing generations. And what we were seeing was um, just a breakdown in the chain. And adult children who were not capable, were not sufficiently trained, skilled, taught to pursue their own path with passion and uh, the best of their abilities. And it's, um, it, it, it happened so many more times than one would guess. So it's like something has to be at work here. This isn't an isolated instance. It's in so many situations where we have this failure to demonstrate you know, values and passion, even though money is in the equation. Like, what are we doing wrong? What's going on? That it's, it's just not working. How do we yeah. go from the greatest generation 50 years ago to where we are now with all of the results of that? I mean, child obesity, youth depression, all these other things which are at all-time highs. So something's not working, and yet nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to address it. Nobody, you know, so I just one voice trying to say, because I, knew there, I know there's an audience out there that's scratching their heads with the problem. They recognize it. They're not sure what to do about it, or they don't feel like they're in a position to do the necessary things. Uh, well, yes. Actually, um, as a psychiatrist in Beverly Hills, I can tell you some of the things that I've found in these families, and you can tell me whether you've, this is what you saw in the families that you were working with um, as a financial advisor. Um, typically, uh, these would be people, I mean, the fathers would be very caught up in their successful uh, em empire, and um, the mothers would be caught up in plastic surgery and having um, lunch with the ladies, and maybe charity work, uh, just other things, let's put it that way. And um, nannies would be taking care of the kids, and... Um, then there would usually be a divorce at some point down the line. The kids would get really angry about that. Uh, they would be left scarred in the middle, and the ki that would give the kids justification and rationalization for being able to be angry at both of their parents. Um, some of it has to do with the, these rich parents, um, currently rich parents, giving, wanting to give their children what they didn't have growing up. So it's kind of a combination of neglect, and, I mean, it's it's 
spoiling with the idea of giving what the parent didn't have, trying to make up for the, not wanting the child to undergo the pain that the parent did um, of not having money and not having things that they wanted, you know, the coolest clothes and so on, coolest toys and cars. Um, but also being neglected because uh, because the parents are caught up in their world of being socialites or being or the father typically being the workaholic. Well, we do need we do need to take another break. When we come back, we'll be back with my guest James D'Amico. His book is called The Affluenza Antidote. We're talking about the uh, horrendous miscarriage of justice, where East 16-year-old Ethan Couch was sentenced to 10 years probation, starting with a luxurious rehab center, even though he killed four people on the side of the road and injured two who were in his truck that he was driving at 70 miles an hour. Um, So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about affluenza, a real problem but an unreal excuse for manslaughter. And that was what got off Ethan Couch, um, who will soon be spending his days in a luxurious rehab center in California where um, there's all kind of from yoga to a chef preparing his meals to equine therapy. I do believe in equine therapy, but, um, but he should have gotten um, a more serious punishment than that for his crime. And, and, you know, this idea that the psychologist expert witness put forth that he was suffering from affluenza, and of course now he's tried to take that back, and, say, and he's been saying, I, I wish I had never used that word. We used to call them spoiled brats. I should have just said that. Um, but, uh, but the point is that, um, well, first of all, he was on Anderson Cooper the other night, and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how a judge, as an expert, let me just put in a few words here as an expert witness, because that's one of the things that really bothered me. It's not only that um, the, the judicial system that is looked at askance and this whole issue of the rich being able to buy justice 
but he made a mockery of expert witnesses. Um, first of all, you know, not anyone can get up on the stand and, and call themselves an expert witness. You have to have certain credentials um, that make you credible as an expert witness. Ideally, for a psychiatrist, you should be board certified. Um, I've I gone to his website and, you know, his credentials. I mean, maybe he doesn't have all his credentials on the website. But those that he does have aren't super impressive. Um, but the point is, aside from that, uh, you're supposed to be using generally accepted uh, theories, mainstream accepted theories. So that would include um, using real diagnoses. Now, now um, Ethan Couch may well have had, I mean, undoubtedly he does have uh, some real diagnoses that are included in the DSM, well, DSM-5 at this point, um, such as perhaps, well, at least alcohol abuse, if not alcoholism, um, perhaps sociopathy or antisocial personality. Narcissism seems pretty likely. Um, so, you know, the, not that that would have, of course, you know, can you imagine telling a judge that, oh, yes, he's really, he has a psychiatric disorder, he has a narcissistic personality. Obviously, that would not help very much in terms of getting him off, you know, getting him uh, off of the 20 years um, uh, incarceration that the prosecutor wanted. I mean, being uh, being narcissistic is not a great excuse either, for that matter. No better than uh, than affluenza. But um, but you know you have to stick to uh, certain certain accepted um, uh, things, theories, and, and diagnoses in, in whether it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, in what you say to the court. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I wonder, I would think it would have come out already in the media, but maybe not. I haven't heard, let's put it that way, of um, the prosecutor, whether they had an expert or not. If they did, that obviously was not a very good expert psychologist or psychiatrist. And if they didn't, that was their downfall. Um, Once they knew that the other side, that the defense was going to call a, a mental health professional, um, that's a heads up that you need to call one of your own, you need to examine the boy, um, and you need to come to your own conclusions. Um, but as I start, was starting to say about Anderson Cooper, who really did a great interview of um, Dr. Miller, <laughs> putting him on the spot, and Dr. Miller, who was sitting in front of, I, I'm, I don't know if that was his home or a studio or what, but he was sitting in front of a mantelpiece where there were Christmas stockings. Here we're talking about a 16-year-old boy who just got sentenced to 10 years probation for killing four people and injuring two, and he's sitting in front of a mantelpiece with Christmas stockings. I mean, I mean, you know, it would be, it is laughable, except for the fact that this is a really serious matter of, of the people who were killed and injured. But um, he just did not seem like someone who, who would be taken as a credible witness by a judge. And, and that, you know, I, I just want people to know, I want you all, all of you, <laughs> all of my listeners, I want you to know that this is, he is not representative of um, the typical psychiatrist or psychologist expert witness. He certainly isn't representative of me, um, but, but not most of the people either. Um, yes, of course you have to try to, um, you know, to, to, well, you have to try to tell the truth, um, but, you know, yes, do you, I'm sure um, there's, there would be a natural tendency to want to give the boy a good chance, but you, you can't, like, do that to the, 
to the extent of um, being unethical or unprofessional or saying things just to get someone off so that you can get paid <laughs> by their rich family or even a poor family who scraped together money. Now, I just want to do, I do want to admit one thing, and we'll get back to my guest, James D'Amico, and his book, The Affluenza Antidote, but um, this is something that I feel really strongly about, that, you know, the question of do rich people get better justice? And to be honest, um, you know, there is some truth to that. I mean, of course, fortunately, judges are not typically like Judge Gene Boyd, the judge in Texas who gave um, this Ethan a very light sentence, an overly, incredibly light, ridiculously light sentence. But, but it's unfair in the sense that um, it is true that, that if someone has the money to pay for a better attorney or if someone has the money to pay for a better expert witness or an expert witness at all, then yes, um, they are going to get a chance at putting on their case in a better manner um, where the ju- jury gets to understand it better, gets to hear more, gets a more thorough um, uh, exploration and investigation of the truth and gets to understand who this person is. That is true. Um, you know, it's, it's when you have a, a um, public uh, defender, for example, who has, is overwhelmed with cases, he's not going to be able to spend as much time on your case as a lawyer, a private lawyer, who you would be paying by the hour or uh, in civil cases, you know, uh, as a percentage or whatever. Um, no, it just, it, 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 that is the reality. But um, I have never seen in my 20 years of being an expert witness this kind of miscarriage of justice where a judge would just um, single-handedly make this kind of decision that was so obviously unfair. So I just had to get that off my chest here. And let's get back to James. So James, do you want to comment on that? I don't know whether you've had any experience. Yeah, well, you know, from my view... There are, there is a bigger issue than just Eric Couch, and he deserved to be held accountable for his action in some way. But what really um, concerns me is this judge, by her decision, has basically endorsed yes. his lack of accountability as a legal acceptable excuse for the horrific accident which which he caused which i i mean i could just see this kid chuckling as he walks away they've accused me of being basically a spoiled brat and the judge has bought that as reinforced that being a spoiled brat's okay it it gives me a different kind of justice and it's just such an awful message to send out yes i mean such a such an awful message Yes, by his saying to his friends in the truck before, right after this accident happened, he said, I'm Ethan Couch, I'll get you out of this. And in fact, that's what the judge proved, that yes, you know, as, as a victim of affluenza, he feels above the law, he feels entitled, he feels that, uh, that none of these things affect him, he doesn't deserve punishment, and so on, he's entitled to, to a better kind of... Uh, sentence and consequence, and that's what the judge endorsed. Absolutely. That's what she reinforced, that um, that he is special. I'm guilty. I have this disease. I'm not accountable. And she said, all right, you're right. You're not. Therefore, we'll not hold you accountable. Right. Are you seriously? I mean, that's, that's, that's justice. I mean, I just don't... How about if you're the parents of one of these kids who were killed, or, 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 or the, the adults that were killed, or the mother and daughter who were killed? 
seriously, that's that's the justice for the the, the one who murdered your kids, really? And you, yes, and you know what adds to the tragedy is how uh, these people who were killed. One was a girl, a woman whose whose um, vehicle broke down, but then three others were the Good Samaritans exactly. who came to help her. And I mean, so for them to have been killed when they were doing this good deed makes the whole thing that much worse. Yeah. So your so your sentence, you're going to go to this spa, which is going to cost a lot of money. Money's already been the root problem, but it's going to cost a lot of money. And at the end of six months in the spa, you're going to be somehow rehabbed. I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Well, I think it's a year in the spa, but in any case, six months, a year, it doesn't matter. I, I think he's going to need a lot more than that. Well, let's, why don't we start talking about some of the things that you, and, and by example, too, if you can, uh, I think you were, you were starting to tell me during the break that you had another example of a family who well, you were working with. Well, here's a classic. I'm at a Super Bowl party. This is about a year ago. I'm at a Super Bowl party, and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, you're the fellow who wrote the book about affluenza. I said, yep, I, I'm him. I want to talk to you about it. Can we sit down? He said, now? I mean, there's 100 people here. <laughs> we're at a Super Bowl party. He says, yeah, I, I'm concerned by it. I said, tell me, the, tell me the situation. He says, I have a son who's a musician and my son has made no money and I basically support him and if I send him money um, I get a phone call he could be in South America he could be here he could be there and he's and he's on drugs and he's playing his music I said okay I said um, how old is your son he said he's in his early 40s I said mm. you ever tell him no and he said, well, not really. And mm. I said, well, you think the horse is out of the corral? You think you're going to change his behavior now after having reinforced it for his whole life? You've not held him accountable for anything. In fact, you are a facilitator. You in, you're an entitler because if you don't give him the funds, then he can't live the lifestyle that he's living. But you've allowed him, and you've facilitated it. And I, I said to him recently, uh, how's he doing? And he said, well, you know, I actually have him back in the States. He's still not making any money as a musician, but at least he's doing some tutoring, and he's doing, and we've got him sobered up. Hmm. You know, so, okay, uh, that's, I guess, success in the situation is he's not engaging in self-destructive behavior, mm-hmm. but you would expect so much more. Yes, I guess he burned himself out. Yeah, it's it. I mean, all the cases are sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you forget about the murders, where Eric Couch is heading is a sad, sad story. Yeah, you, right. you can't feel sorry for him right now because of the consequences of his irresponsibility. But there, there's a life that's lost. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how you bring him back into a uh, functional. Uh, he's certainly not on the road he's on right now. That's that's not the uh, therapy yes. to a successful, productive life. Yes. So, and, and he's well, just indicative, I think, of what's out there. I, I really do, yes. I think. Well, when we come back, we do need to take another break, but when we come back, um, I do want you to talk about some of these antidotes that you write about in your book. Um, some of the things that you would suggest to parents who are in the process of, and it doesn't have to be super rich, multimillionaires. It could be even parents who are, who are you know, comfortable, but not, not as rich as that, who are still spoiling their children with what they have. 
you know, relatively to what they have. My guest is James D'Amico. His book is called The Affluenza Antidote. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about affluenza, real problem, unreal excuse for manslaughter. My guest is James D'Amico. His book is The Affluenza Antidote. And uh, James has been a uh, wealth manager advising affluent families for 35 years, coming across enough, uh, enough families who were spoiling their kids. Oh, you were starting to actually, you were starting to say during, the, uh, during one of the breaks um, about how your book was based upon 15 affluent families um, who seemed to be doing it the right way. So tell us about that. Okay. Um, in most of those instances, they they were involved in family businesses, and that's important as we talk about it. In uh, and they weren't all from single family or single marriages. They weren't all where some. There were a lot of variables. I'll put it that way. Some had religious background. Some did not. Some had um, extended family close by. Some did not. But. In almost every instance, they had an influence in their life of Depression-era grandparents. In almost every instance, they, they were instilled in them by their grandparents who lived within proximity to them. In almost every instance, there was an, at least an annual family vacation, as, as a tradition in my own family, and we don't all live in proximity to each other, in which electronics games, um, and being singularly engaged with some boob tube is not permitted. It's mm-hmm. social interaction. It's group dinners. It's talking about what's going on in their life. Well, that was also prevalent in our uh, families who have all exhibited successful next generation. So there was dedicated time to communication 
within the family unit. And I think that's critical because, as I say in the book, you're not getting it. Most people don't have the same religious affiliation, so you're not getting it there. Neighborhoods aren't what they were. People got their places locked up tighter than a drum because they're so nervous of the crime and whatnot. You're not getting it in the school systems. Well, where are you going to get it? If you're not getting it at home, and the role models that are on the mass media are Lindsay Lohan, is that is that our role model? Um, you know, the last few presidents, are those our role models? Is that the only place you're going to get the proper training and value system instilled in you is at home. If you don't get it there, you're getting it through osmosis. And to me, the time that's so valuable then is the family dinner. But how many family dinners are we having these days with, as you're talking about the, you know, the dedicated father or mother who are career focused, which contributes to their financial success, but not necessarily to their family success. And if you were doing dedicated family time as a society, well, how could McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and all the rest of the fast foods be doing the kind of business they're doing? Mm -hmm. And I think absent dedicated time where you communicate, you don't have electronics as a um, distraction, and you talk about value systems and accountability and that there's no free lunch and make your kids do some chores and hold them accountable in school and reward them for hitting their potential, whatever that might be, and you withhold anything positive when they don't. And I, I just, I mean, I just think there's a, an absence of that. People are so concerned about having their kids like them, they don't want to be their parents anymore. And, I, you know, sometimes I say something like that, and then I think, geez, I sound like my own parents. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I don't, and I don't mean to do that, but, but I do think there's a lot of that going on. Well, yes, I, I totally agree with you uh, in that. It's also that parents, and yes, of course, sometimes the breadwinner is the mother, and she's the head of the business and so on. It's just traditionally. I didn't mean to be sexist, but... Um, but you know, it, it is that, that either parent or both parents, um, uh, you know, are out so much besides uh, when they're not spending the time uh, building the business or keeping the business successful, they are doing so much for themselves. It's almost like their children are an afterthought or the children will be taken care of by the nannies or by the camps or by the, um, you know, but it's not, they don't, take the time, because it, it, we're talking about time and attention. Um, you know, they don't take the time and the attention to, to make the chore list, for example, and, and check off whether the child does that, or have these dinners, the family dinner. Yes, the death of the family dinner, or also even family dinners where, where, where the family is allowed to watch television is almost as bad, because you're still not, or where people are allowed to answer their, you know, check their text messages or, or answer their phones or whatever in the middle of dinner, even when they're having dinner together, which is rare enough, they're not really focused on each other and not really talking about what's been going on in school or what's happening, you know, how do they feel about is somebody bullying them. I mean, all of this that needs to be talked about every day um, with parents. And, of course, another, you know, the big thing, and I did kind of mention it, but the big thing is... Um, Divorce, which really does, um, you know, more and more, we're seeing how 
how that's affecting, how children of divorce are being affected. Whether it's uh, Adam Lanza, you know, (laughs) shooting kids in Sandy Hook, or whether it's Cory Monteith, who became a drug addict after his parents got divorced, um, or whether it's uh, Ethan Couch, who, you know, killed four people and injured two after his parents got divorced. Um, it's really, you know, it's the, it's the pursuit, parents pursuing, um, like not, I mean, yes, everyone should pursue their dreams. However old they are, they need to keep pursuing their dreams. But at the same time, one of your dreams should be raising healthy kids, psychologically as well as physically healthy kids. And that's what parents are, are sacrificing um, in order to do things that are more narcissistically pleasing. Uh, you know, our, our, our discussions in our own family is when they bury you, nobody remembers what toys you left behind, but your heirs are the next link in the chain of your family evolution, and that is the resource, and yet it doesn't seem like we put it near as much time and energy into the real resource, which is the next generation, as we do into toys. And um, yes. it's bothersome. It's really bothersome. Yes, absolutely. It is. And yeah, it's funny, well, funny, but it's, I don't know, it's uh, ironic, I guess, that we're talking about this in December, right? right? When yeah, there's Christmas right. season. And uh, I always like to bring up, this is, I guess, a good way to close. We're kind of getting to, oh, I, I want you to be able to give out a website. But I just want to say, um, I want, if, if you, if anyone who's listening has not, read the O. Henry short story, The Gift of the Magi, you have got to do that today. Um, You can find it online, perhaps, or you can find it certainly in your bookstore, or you can order it online uh, in a book of of O. Henry's uh, short stories. Um, that, That is the real truth, the real spiritual truth about gift giving. It's not about how much money you're going to spend on people you give gifts to. It's about um, taking the time and making the effort to really figure out it doesn't have to be an expensive gift, but something, who that person is that you're buying for and, um, and what they would really love. Because in that story, it's, I'm not going to give away the ending, but that, that illustrates it better than anything else. Um, that I have come across. So, so you know, at a time of year when people go crazy and spend more money than they have on others and themselves, uh, like like the example of Thanksgiving being taken over by by stores. You know, even breaking into Thanksgiving to have sales. That's outrageous. That's the kind of thing that you're talking about. I think as well. You know, our values. We're, we can't even have a Thanksgiving day um, to be centered on giving thanks. So, um, James, what? Website? Would you like people to go to? Sure, they can just. Uh, my book is on Amazon, mm-hmm. and it's affluenzaanecdote.com, and it's available in print or electronic. And what? And your website? Mine is. Um, well, I have email, which would be Jim D'Amico, D A M I C O one zero two eight at yahoo.com. If somebody wants to talk about it or um, has some comments further, and uh, I'd, welcome, I'd welcome the communication. Okay, and again, the name of the book is The Affluenza Antidote. Um, and so, James, I'd like to thank you for being on the show and for uh, helping to bring this 
bring this issue to light as far as your real life experience. And I'd like to thank you all for listening. And I hope um, hope we've given you something to think about. Again, it's you don't have to be a multimillionaire to raise a to raise a spoiled brat. It can be just uh, not holding them accountable and and giving them giving them everything and not holding them accountable for things, whether it's chores or earning their allowance or doing well in school. Or, um, or giving charity or volunteering. I mean, there's no end to things that can teach responsibility if you spend the time and attention to teach them that. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.